0: Welcome to Voices from the Dales, our Ingleborough. This is the fifth of six parts of our Ingleborough and in this episode we're going to speak to people who have a love of going underground. My name's Andrew Fagg and I'm sat with Anna Greenwood on a bit of Limestone Pavement. Anna, you've done all the interviews, mm. three voices, Avelina Wright, Leanne Rennie and her husband, Tam Rennie. Let's start with Avelina Wright. How did you miss her?
1: Avelina Wright, I actually met through Leanne and Tam. And Leanne and Tam, I met because they were neighbours to the cottage I was staying in while I was here doing all the work. So, really, I met them all at the same time. And then Avelina came over and agreed to talk to me.
2: I'm an assistant controller at the Cave Rescue Organisation. Assistant controller at the Cave Rescue Organisation, yeah. which you also call CRO, CRO. Exactly. exactly. So, we refer to CRO, that's what it, that's is. it. That is. How did you? Get interested in caving in the first place. (laughs) I was at university. I just walked around the Freshers Fair um, and you know where they have lots of stores and they're they're trying to entice new students into their clubs. And the the pictures looked quite good. And and frankly, it was the cheapest club to join. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, the the people seemed really nice as well. And and yeah, there, there were lots of things that seemed attractive about it. And it just seemed so different you know, whereas all the other clubs were I don't know, basketball and netball and, you know, all the things that I was never very good at at school anyway. Yeah. Different. Just down to earth, you know, they didn't worry too much about looking cool and, you know, if you had a face that didn't quite fit in other areas, you know, they just seem to be quite accepting of, of everyone's quirks and, yeah, so it, it's just a very open accepting community. can be quite challenging at times as well and generally um, i think cave is in the uk at least you tend to have quite a lot of academics and you know people from very interesting backgrounds Mm. and so it's just this big melting pot of lots of different people from all walks of life and you you just suddenly build up this huge network well in a way it's actually tiny but actually your scope of meeting all these people is is pretty big and it just opens up i don't know opportunities and knowledge and you know interesting conversations it's the connections that are big so it's, mm. so it's a small number of people the, the connections are wide-reaching yes that's that yes. it yes yeah. you, you know you just get to know people so quickly i know cavers in new zealand and the states and israel and yeah Crow is a voluntary organization
1: and so you give your time to that as a volunteer mm-hmm. What then led you
2: from caving to wanting to join the cave rescue team? To be brutally honest, it's a self-insurance policy, so you know that if you are underground and something happens to you, you are reliant on other cavers, and I, you know, I feel so privileged and lucky to be able to live here that it was never a question in my mind as to whether or not I would join Crow, you know, if I live here. Then I kind of feel like it's my, my duty because that has sort of negative connotations um, to it. But mm-hmm. you know, it's almost a it's almost a privilege to be able to join it and be able to help other people, but also be part of the people or that group of people that you know will be the people who will come and get you uh, if anything happens to you. the The CRO started in 1935, and uh, it started as a cave rescue team. Um, It's the oldest cave rescue team in the world, and at the time it it did purely tend cave rescue incidents. Mm -hmm. However, there wasn't a mountain rescue team in the area at the time, and so gradually over time it just evolved and it took on mountain rescue as well. And now it's uh, evolved to such an extent that about 95% of all of our shouts are mountain rescue rather than cave rescue. So the name is a bit of a red herring to a degree, and with the cave rescue shouts as well, you you also include in that number incidents when sheep are falling down shafts. You know, we don't only pull humans out of holes; we also pull um, sheep and dogs and whatever other animals might fall down bottom <laughs> holes. What's the most unusual thing you've pulled out of a hole? Oh gosh! Oh, well, it. it I, I guess in, in terms of species, it's probably not that unusual, but we did pull a, a skull out of a, a hole once, and that turned out to be, I can't remember exactly, but a few thousand years old. But because it was human, we had to, or well, the police was involved. It was on Halloween, which made it quite amusing. <laughs> <laughs> waiting a long time for a rescue.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the experience here is high. Yeah. Experience team. Yeah. Uh, Well-trained team. Yeah. And what challenges does the landscape give you here? (laughs) So a lot of I don't know how much
2: you know about caves and caving. Well, let's assume we know nothing. Okay. (laughs) Then then it'll cover everything. Yeah. Yeah. So the caves around here are are much more vertical than a lot of the caves in the uh, in the rest of the country. So in order to go down a vertical cave, you have to use ropes and generally speaking here we have fixed anchors uh, in the walls so you go along you start uh, to tie your rope into the first anchor and you it's almost like a dot to dot you basically join the dots with knots and then you end up with what's called a pitch which is basically a vertical drop um, with a rope on it and you abseil down the rope now with the way that the anchors are placed generally speaking they tend to take the rope away from the water. So if you've got a waterfall, you might be abseiling down beside that waterfall. But the idea is that if the rigging was done well, or if the rock allows or the cave allows, you're then actually abseiling down beside the waterfall, but not in the
0: waterfall. Avelina Wright speaking to Anna Greenwood. And Anna's here with us now. Let's introduce the next voice, uh, Leanne Rennie.
1: Leanne Rennie she lives next door to where I was staying, and she is very keen on caving, and her and her husband came from Lincolnshire. So you grew up on a dairy farm in Lincolnshire, which is flat, and where are we now? Can you describe where we are now?
3: So so now I'm living in a little stone cottage at the foot of Wormside in uh, North Yorkshire um, in the Three Peaks area, so it's the opposite. It's very hilly, <laughs> very cold, it uh, rains a lot, but it's also stunning as well but for different reasons lots of waterfalls so can you tell me what it is about this landscape that brought you here uh, well that was because so in Lincolnshire there's no caves there's no mountains but here there is lots of caves and um, literally out of our door we can go and do some caves there's more caves than you can think about really um, and we could just pop up Wormside as well do the three peaks from our door so yeah there's there's everything here that adventurous people like. You know the cave systems around here? Yes, it takes a while because there's so many. Some of the systems are massive um, and it takes a long time to learn them but I know a few around here getting to know them. How did you first come into contact with caving? Oh gosh, I was so I've been with my husband since I was 15 and uh, when we were 17 we borrowed my grandma's car. And we went on holiday to the Peak District, and uh, we we had to find a phone box to ring home. And in the phone box was a poster that said, would you like to try caving? And uh, we both looked at each other and said, oh yeah, we'll have a go at that. And we rang the number, and it was a scout group. So we tagged along on the back of a scout group.
0: Anna, one of the things I enjoyed about your interviews, and they were each often an hour, these are very much cut-downs, the highlights mm. uh, of the interviews, was how you went out to see people where they were. And that's what you did with uh, our third voice for this episode, Leanne's husband, Tam Rennie. Where, where did you go and meet him?
1: Tam works in the remotest signal box in England, which is Moor, which is just off the edge of Ribblehead Viaduct. And it's within sight of where I was staying, of where they live. And that was the walk I took to get to him. Walking along Winterscales Beck is the ruin of a barn. Roofs long gone. Most of the wall's still standing, but starting to go. Last time I came here a few weeks ago was just at the start of Storm Eunice. And the beck was really running high. I'm going to meet Tam Rennie, who is a signalman, and tonight his shift is just about to finish at six o'clock is at more signal box. A wooden hut on the hill, painted burgundy red at the bottom, cream at the top There's a train just come over Ribblehead Viaduct, coming up towards the signal box. One, two carriages. A diesel train. Signals letting it go by, and there it goes past the signal box. Hello! Did you see me coming? Yeah.
4: Yes, yeah, I see some pop up. Oh, good. I'm just waiting for my relief to come.
1: It's a beautiful evening. Yeah,
4: best day of the week, I think, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of annoying when you're stuck in the all those bad weather and then you get a couple of nice days and you, you can look out, but you can't go out. I got out yesterday, it's all right. Well, underground, so different views
1: you were in the signal box can you describe what it's like in there
4: generally it can be quiet it's remote and then sometimes it can be busy it can change in an instant but generally when things are going well when everything's working it's kind of a relaxed job
1: and i imagine i'm thinking of the old the old black and white pictures of people pulling levers and arms going up and down on outside for the trains to see is it still like that yeah up here
4: yeah Still, um, the old traditional signalling, uh, the old absolute block, as they call it. So it's just trains working between different boxes, just one train in each between each box.
1: The safety. Yeah,
4: basically, yeah. We just watch, sort of send it on box to box. So if another train gets to my box before it's the previous one's got to the next box, then he will just wait there until it's clear to the next box. And that's all just done on the. Uh, just you don't have to talk to her on it's just bells. So it can be quite quiet i always wanted to live somewhere high. It's probably because of living in Lincolnshire. <laughs> I wanted to live on the top of a hill.
1: While I was waiting, I could look out over Ingleborough as the sun set around it, which is a great view. And now we're walking underneath the train lines because your, where you live, is very close to here. So
4: it must yeah. be one of the
1: shortest commutes.
4: Yeah, pretty much, uh, apart from the house next door, but. Uh...
1: And apart from the house next door. There's a farm, isn't there, as well?
4: Yeah, it's very quiet. Leanne was coming up the same one day to come and um, meet me at the end of the shift. She saw the house for sale and she said, oh, that would be handy to live there, near work. Sometimes you know, it could be hard work getting in when it's snowy, but at least you can't be late for work now. No.
1: <laughs> and what is it about this landscape that brought you here?
4: Well, there's no signaling in Lincoln and... Transferred over. It was the caving and the outdoors. I used to you know, work in Lincoln, come here caving. I thought well, I'd be, I could do more caving if I lived here. The boys can come out and enjoy the environment.
1: Because you've got two children at home as well. Yep. And it's a great place to grow up. Yeah,
4: there oh, are pluses and minuses. Say. It's not always like this. It's been pretty rough for like, the last month.
1: With the storms,
4: yeah, just constant wind, rain, mm-hmm. it's boggy.
1: It's uh, but oh,
4: we've got the fire in now, so you can just. Uh, at least... We've had a few power cuts at this end because it's uh, quite a long way from down the valley.
1: You were cut off during Storm Arwen last year, weren't you as well?
4: Yeah, we time. had the uh, yeah, power was off for six days, I think. Yeah. The night of the storm, there was quite a lot of trees down all over. The railway was shut for. I mean, it turned out to be about four days in the end. I was meant to be at Kirby Stephen that day, but I couldn't get out of the valley. And the guy who was meant to be at Blemore couldn't get into Blemore. Oh. The person who was on Blemore they couldn't get home to uh, Kendall. As it turned out, I came up to Bleemore. Yes. The guy who was going to Blemore he went to Kirby Stephen, so we switched. Yes. And, uh, yeah.
1: I'm worried about the guy who was from Kendall. What happened to
4: him? Um, he ended up sat at, near the Hill Inn for about seven hours while they got some trees shifted. Oh dear. And finally got home at five o'clock.
1: Mm.
0: That's the cuckoo again. Can you hear it? In the background here at Ingleborough National Nature Reserve. That was Tam Rennie speaking to Anna Greenwood and before that, Leanne Rennie and Avelina Wright on caving. The next time, the six of six episodes of Voices from the Dales, our Ingleborough, we'll be really delving into the oral histories of local people.